Welcome back, guys, to another Serious Angler podcast. Today, we are without Bailey. He's enjoying himself at a Sabres game. But we are here Monday Night Live, as always, and we are excited to bring on Josh. But first, Andy, how are you doing, man? Good, dude. How are you? I know uh, you have some craziness going on over there. Um, It's a little frozen. It's been snowing for like the last five days. My truck is in the shop, so my boat's still in my driveway, and I got to get it to the in-laws. But... Other than that, we're doing all right. How's it going over there with you? Good, man, dude. In Colorado right now, it is uh, mild, dude. I think it seriously got to the high 60s today. It is. Oh, uh, it does not feel like winter. Um, and I know we're going to be talking winter patterns, fishing. Uh, some of those fish are kind of actually starting to set up that way. But it is, uh, it's a different deal right now. Uh, it, it feels so, so warm out. It's kind of crazy, man. Uh, it's just wild, huh? Yeah, I mean, normally November, we're like, right about now, we're sitting like mid-40s during the day, Mm -hmm. sometimes 30s. It's been like 28, 25, 40 with snow and wind every day. But they're still catching giant smallies if you can get out on the lake. But there's been like three to four footers every day. The Lake Erie is still 48 degrees. So there's still time left. Yeah, we'll catch them all the way to about 35 so oh, we're going to be catching them probably through Christmas if I can ever find time to get out there. Well, that's so. and that's what you said too. This time of year, it's not even necessarily the uh, that you the weather. I mean, the lake's always open. It's just that it, there's so much more wind this time yeah. of the year that it's like one in what four five days where you can actually get out on the lake. Maybe one in seven or eight. Wow. So it's like even if I wanted to run guide trips, I can't because I mean. It's unpredictable. I'd have to have people yeah. ready to go on a whim. And then at nighttime, it's getting down to 15 to 16, 17. My boat sits outside. So I run the risk of my lower unit freezing. So it's like, why even bother putting my boat in the lake? If I had a garage, I'd bass fish till I couldn't get out of the harbor. So you need to get a garage. Yeah, next time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like so, it, man. Yeah. Well, before we bring Josh in, I wanted to say a little something. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of, of BTL, and it helped me really start the Business from the Bass Boat podcast and uh, get connected even with you guys. It's been uh, probably the, um, I don't know, what I've set my sights on as far as the podcast industry goes. They have been top-notch the whole time. I've become friends with Matt through all this and yeah. um, wearing the hat and everything. But it was really cool to see uh, kind of the emotion and the raw the raw building phase that everything that Mark went through from quitting his nine to five in the corporate world. And to listen to that this morning, if you guys haven't checked out the Bass Talk Live uh, episode today, you need to, I think it's the after Thanksgiving one or something like that. Uh, it's really cool to hear where that's all going and Matt taking the reins and uh, please uh, listen into that because that is uh, a really special thing. And um, it's something that I always listen to and I'm excited to see the, uh, the changes into uh, 2022 and uh, can't thank uh, Mark enough for the impact he's had on, on me and the industry in general. Happy retirement. No joke. Yeah. No joke. <laughs> Deserves it, man, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, should we bring Josh in here? Absolutely. Let's get him in. All right. Oh, we both oh. did it. Right. One of <laughs> How us you doing, Josh? What's up, guys? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Nice and cold and snowy up here in Buffalo. So, I'm sure it's a little warmer down there in Arizona. Yeah, you know, today I heard Adam talking about his weather in Colorado, and and we're in the same, you know, general region of the country. And sure. uh, 
Andy, I'm sorry, dude, but today I was complaining to my wife because it was 80 degrees and I I would like it to be closer to 70 right now. So, uh, it's, it's a rough life out here. It's actually been a little bit more warm than normal this time of year. And, uh, we've got it, you know, this in the summertime, it's, it's misery in Arizona and we fight through it all summer, but the fall's so great out here because you know, you've got such a nice winter ahead of you, you know, and, uh, it only is going to get better from here on out in Arizona. And we're already, we've got great weather already, but, um, I want it to get a little cooler just, you know, so I can actually wear some pants and a sweatshirt once in a while. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's been an awesome fall. So you'll fall you'll laugh about this. Um, you're talking like sweatshirt pants today. It was snowing this morning. I took my daughter to daycare. I was wearing uh, shorts and sandals. Why? Because like we're polar bears up here, right? I'm not cold. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't feel like finding pants. So I just threw on my pair of gym shorts and a hoodie and walked outside with, with Birkenstocks. Oh, you're a tough guy. Yeah, it's funny. My wife was like, really? I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Bear dude, you're wild. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, I've been steelhead fishing for what, a month and a half now. I fished all weekend in basically a snowstorm. And I think that the low on Saturday when we fished in the morning, it was like one degree or two degrees with a wind chill and didn't wear gloves, so it doesn't bother me. And you could actually use your hands. You had dexterity yeah. with your fingers. That's oh, yeah. Crazy. Wow. I used to work at a car wash like 10, 12 years ago, and most of the stuff I did, I had to have no gloves on. So I just got used to the cold. Wow. Yeah. Dude, you're crazy. Dude, how was all that? I saw some I saw some pics of some big fish. You got looks like you guys are doing like a lot of float trips. And it was. So we're was on it? A, it was fun. Um I lost my I'm not gonna lie, it was one of the worst landing of steelhead days I've ever had in my life. I lost seven and ten drifts like at eleven o'clock in the morning. I wanted to snap a rod over my leg, but um that's the way it goes sometimes. But the ones we did get to shore were big ones. So it was fun. Heck yeah, man. No, I was with a buddy. wasn't a guide trip. It was just a no. buddy trip. So I actually uh, pay for a guide when I go up there because the river is so large that it's really hard to cover a lot of water by walking. Okay. So we go on a drift boat, which is like a 16-foot rowboat that they row mm-hmm. you down the river and fish. So and the guide is a really good friend of, um, of mine, and my bro- uh, mine and my buddies. So every year we go with them on Thanksgiving weekend just because. So awesome. it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Well, let's, uh, let's, I guess, break down a little bit of where kind of we are at fishing wise this time of the year. I mean, so we're getting into kind of that early December, really where I kind of feel the main winter fishing occurs, at least around me. And then we kind of are stuck with ice on most of our stuff into that January, February timeframe, and then stuff mm-hmm. kind of starts opening back up late into March. But I'm curious to hear what everything looks like in, in your guys' parts of the world. But uh, I guess, Josh, what what do things start to look like? Is this when fish are starting to get deep? I mean, what is what is your kind of, what are you doing now if you've been on the water here recently? And then what does it kind of look like as it goes into December? Yeah, so... Where I live in Arizona, it's it's probably the last place that, that it cools off, really, you know, other than like Florida, right? Um, I was fishing in Texas a couple weeks ago, and it was, you know, it's it was a little warmer than I expected it to be there. 
And here in Arizona, it's it's still warmer than you would expect. But, um, you know, you you hinted to it a little bit earlier that the fish are, even though things are are slow to get cold this winter, the fish are still wanting to do the kind of the wintertime stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're seeing a ton of fish getting out deep and stacking up. What's interesting is there's still is that freak um, – you know, kind of late topwater bite. I talked to a guy yesterday at the lake at the boat ramp that had caught a four pounder on a topwater, you know, and I had been spooning all day and in 40 plus feet and and, and caught a ton of fish. But, um, you know, this is a time of year where the fish there's, there's a, there's a a time where there are fish in all depths Mm -hmm. and there are still fish in all depths here in Arizona and the Southwest, but there's, there are starting to be less fish up shallow and more fish out deep. You know, the, the percentage of fish that are out deep is a lot higher than it was a couple weeks ago. That's for sure. Even though the weather hasn't really, we haven't had those, you know, 30 degree, 30 degree nights yet. And uh, days that are in the fifties and sixties, the fish are just like, it's, it's amazing. They, they just eventually need to do their thing. It might be a little late or a little early, but they eventually get there no matter what. Yeah. I got you. Well, one, one thing, and I, so I was just down kind of near your neck of the woods, I guess, but on, uh, I fished the ABA, uh, team championship on Havasu and then Mojave. Cool. And nice, that, yeah. yeah. And on that time frame, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it was, so I guess it would have been the middle of October, I believe is when that was, but it was uh, fish were everywhere. It was very, it was tough. You know I mean? There was big fish caught, but it was like, dude, we'd catch him to six inches of water. And then you'd also see fish out in 40 and you'd be like, what, what do Brutal. we do here? It was junk fishing 101. Yep. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it so tough, you know? And, um, <laughs> I, I, I love fishing for schools of fish. So mm-hmm. it's a time of year that like it, it can't, um, the winter can't get here fast enough because I want to catch them every cast you know, I don't mind going five hours without a bite. If, if there's a chance I could catch them every cast eventually, um, I, I can't stand fishing for one every hour. It drives me absolutely nuts, you know? So, um, like what you're talking about, you know, that I, I know that Havasu tournament was so tough and, um, Havasu in just general, is just, it's a tough lake in the summer and fall. And, um, really it's just a, it's an amazing lake in the spring and early summer. And then it's a grind for the, for the rest of the uh, year. But, yeah. <laughs> so you get three months, good, nine months, bad. Basically. Yeah. And when it's good, it's good, dude. But you know, <laughs> and, and the good thing is it's got big fish in it. So like, you know, if you go out there and catch four fish, you know, the odds, odds are you'll catch a couple four pounders, but um, yeah, it's a, I felt, I feel for anyone trying to catch them at Havasu in September, October. Hmm. It was tough, man. It was tough for sure. Um, but yeah, I'd imagine now they're probably starting to be more, more of a, a pattern you see, uh, kind of where fish are grouping up. I mean, it, like it, to me, just, I agree as we kind of get to this time frame. I mean, it's been so hot here in Colorado, but on our local, local lake horse tooth reservoir in Northern Colorado, those fish are set up great right now. I mean, they're, they're in, they're in wads and they're deep, even though the weather doesn't necessarily translate to that. I feel like more times than not as anglers, we really try and relate things. And I'm a big hunter. Uh, we try and relate things to the weather when, um, stuff's going to happen regardless. Deer are going to get into that breeding cycle because of the light changing. Right. And it's the same with the spawn, right? I mean, there, there could be all these different factors that come in, but regardless, I'm starting to learn, I think, or, or what I'm starting, my theory is, is that it's going to be more, it's more to me related to t- light in the day of how those fish decide to kind of set up and where bait's going and that kind of a thing. 
Yeah, and maybe even temperature at night as well. Like you still have sixty degree days, but how cold is it at night? Oh, it's getting cold. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so yeah, that there. the yep. the cold nights could draw them out, and then they're like, "Well, the day's short, so why would I go back up shallow?" So they just stay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, and like and kind of Josh, what you're saying as far as like a random a random uh, fish being up shallow eating top water i've seen that too where it's just weird like the majority of your fish are off and then there'll be one guy we fish a club tournament or something and he caught them all at three o'clock in the afternoon on the bank and it's like where those fish all by himself right yeah (laughs) all by himself and and it was that like a you know early pre-spawner where they talk about the smallmouth having eggs early in the year previously going up and getting some sun like i it's just confusing to me but that, that happens it's a great point. There's a, there is always that one guy. And I, like I said, I talked to that guy at the boat ramp the other day. Right. And, uh, dude, I, I mean, they had caught four all day and we had caught 50 plus, you know, so there were more fish out deep, but they're up shallow. And, and yeah, when you get like, when you get a weird weather deal, like if it stays warm late, I just, yeah, I keep the top, I don't take the top waters out of the boat, uh, you know, for a couple extra weeks, you know what I mean? Cause you might just, yeah, you might get that urge to go up there and catch them shallow and, um, it is cool cause you might be the last guy doing it or whatever, but, uh, yeah, there always is that, uh, that one guy that, that does something a little different, huh? Oh, for sure, man. There's always that one guy. Sometimes he he's, he's either home running or he is not, not doing anything. <laughs> no doubt. It's, it's kind of funny though. The thing you say about smallmouth. um, a couple of years ago in a club tournament, I fished, we unfortunately had a couple of fish die and the guy took them home and he cut them open. He goes, I never knew this, but they had eggs, fully developed eggs, already in their belly in October. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. On Lake Erie. Yeah. On Erie. On Erie. So, because our fish, as soon as the water gets to 52, they start pulling up on beds. So. Hey, let me ask you this, and this is off the the wall. I don't want to ask you guys too many questions today. No, you can ask away. That's fine. But, uh. You and we talk, we joke, we joke about it on our podcast because you'll get a guy every once in a while that will, uh, will act like he swears there's a, a mini false bond that no one ever knows about. And uh, I've never seen it myself, but do you think there's any possibility that was happening? And do you think there is any possibility that, that does happen or no? The latest I have seen a fish on a bed is the second week of August on Erie. So that's not a fall spawn. That's a summer. That's a spring and slash summer spawn. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think the, I have seen fish get up shallow and do weird things. I don't think they're spawning. I just think they're being funky, like trying to get crayfish or something. But I do know, um, I have a buddy in Florida that swears there is a fall spawn, like November, December, he'll catch a couple on beds. I can see it in Florida. Yeah. Those fish yeah. are waiting for it to cool down for sure. Yeah. So, like, that's almost even in the same – I guess it's technically fall to us, but I can see how the fish could blend yeah. November, December into January, February because it's a full-blown spawn by February 1st yeah. down there. But, yeah, I was just curious. I, Dude, I get that guy. It's, it's literally a running joke on our podcast because, like, uh, none of us have ever seen it. I, don't, I personally don't think it's, like, a thing, but – once in a while, a guy will come up to you and uh, absolutely swear that the fish spawn in the fall. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, could it happen? I suppose. But you need two mates that are ready to go, right? 
And if there's only one female that's ready to go, I highly doubt a hundred males are going to be jumping. On it. <laughs> so I mean, they could, you never know. Yeah. Cause guys be guys, but, um, <laughs> so, like, but, uh, like, yeah, I, I know on like Lake Simcoe, a little north of here, I've heard of them spawning in September, but it's like a continuation. Like every month of the year, they spawn there. But that's another 200, 300 miles north, and it gets cold. It stays colder later, and it gets colder sooner. So maybe they just constantly spawn all the time. Like who knows? I want, I want someone to take me out on the lake in October, September, October, and show me a bet. Yeah, and then I'll believe them. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen one personally any any time that's any. <laughs> just wild. You know? But what is kind of crazy about bedfish to me that I you always there's always a couple it seems way out of like if your lake, your home lake that you always go to, if it's like all right, they spawn the second week of April or whatever it is. It always it always surprises me seeing a bed or something a month before that or three weeks before that, or, you know, obviously three, four five weeks after that, uh, is always crazy to me, but I know, especially on bodies of water where there's just a huge fish population, like maybe like a Rayburn or something, they talk about the spawn just being super long because there's so many that have to come up, you know, and then you have that peak window, but, um, it always kind of catches me by surprise for sure. Seeing some of those, you're like, dude, I've never seen one this time of the year. And you're so, like, no, that's a bed. <laughs> so here's, I, I have a little theory on that and I seen it happen this spring. I fished the tournament the first weekend of May this year, but the days leading up to it, it was in like the mid seventies. So the water got warm and then it snowed during the tournament and we had fish on beds like two and a half weeks early and ice just got off the lake three weeks earlier than like prior to that. So it can happen, but I think it's very temperature dependent. If the conditions are right in one bay, or on one creek, like one flat. Oh, sure. They're going to pull up and spawn no matter what, if it's close to that time of year. And if it, there's a full moon, absolutely. So, hey, I'm sorry to drag your winter fishing podcast into talking about bed. <laughs> right. Dude, it's fine. Like, I'm, Name of the game here. Some places like topics. Florida, there's a spawn in the winter. So, I mean, it could be a winter pattern, there right? <laughs> there you go, dude. Okay. There we go. Tie-ins, but uh, um, go ahead, Andy. No, I you're fine. Go, Adam. Uh, I was just gonna say, you know, we'll kind of maybe get into a little bit. I know that the Josh too, and I, I listen to your podcast as well, man. Uh, English Anglers Happy Hour, and I have a blast listening to it. And I, I listened to your topic on kind of some of these off offshore fish that you're probably chasing right now. And I know that you like doing that. Maybe let's get into a little bit about techniques. I mean, when you're out there and you're seeing them on live scope or whatever you're doing, what's the first thing you're reaching for? This time of year, like November, December, I'm all about the spoon, you know, and as you get into like the really crazy, crazy frigid cold of like January, early February, things change. But um, November, December, here and in a lot of places I fish, the spoon is is so tough to beat. Uh, you can catch them, and it's dependent on lake to lake. Like, you know, I love uh, – I do a lot of deep cranking this time of year. I throw an Alabama rig a lot this time of year, when, you know, and that's shallower, you know, 10 to 20 feet. Spinnerbait, that type of stuff, slow rolling a big spinnerbait. But um, what is like – my drug is just – catching 20 fish in 20 minutes. I love doing that, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, 
that's how you do it this time of year is a spoon. So, um, you know, I've done a handful of guide trips over the last couple of weeks since the season ended. And, um, you know, I try to just preface it with like, Hey, it might take us a while to find them today. Or we may, you know, it might seem weird when we're sitting there jigging up and down, not catching anything, you know, it's, it's a weird way to bass fish, but trust me, if we can get on a couple schools, you will be happy that we're fishing this way, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. it's because it's so much fun when you get them fired up like that. It's one of the, it seems weird that it would be fun to be dropping, not even casting your bait. You just drop it on the side of the boat, let it go down and, and just jig it up and down. And it, that doesn't sound like, like it's not exciting, like a topwater bite or, you know, a close combat battle with a fish flipping. But sure. when the fish get fired up and, and you catch them on every drop for, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour, it's amazing. So I, I'm always looking for that spoon bite this time of year. Now, will they eat a blade too? A blade bait? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they absolutely will. But um, the thing is, I, you know, out here anyways, I like to get straight vertical over them. And uh, I think they're just like somewhat more efficient ways to catch them than a blade bait. That blade bait, if you're fishing a vertical, it works and you'll catch fish. It'll foul up a little bit more than uh, a standard spoon or, uh, you know, some of the other uh, baits that I use. So um, it's definitely a way to catch fish. I love throwing a blade bait, but um, that's more of a search thing for me. But when they get fired up, I go with more standard baits for like actual jigging fun it's all fun yeah, yeah it totally is yep no exactly and that's uh we do a lot of blade baiting uh here for sure and and i always i agree i always kind of like doing it at an angle if i'm if i'm dropping something vertically it'll be something different but even if it's a light cast you know 30 40 yards or, or less even just making a pitch with it and then bringing it back to the boat uh seems to be most effective for at least it not fouling up from the standpoint of blade bait that's one of the best baits it's probably the best bait to get a fish that absolutely does not want to bite to bite. Like mm. if you take the the fish in the most negative mood of all time, a blade bait is probably the best way to catch it. That's juice. That is juice. <laughs> you guys agree? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's no better uh, bait to like take a fish that's just miserable and cold and, and make it bite. Uh, it, it's funny on my pre-spawn guide trips up here on Erie, I'll have my clients like dragging swim baits and nuds. And if they won't eat, I'll drop a blade bait and sit there and rip it like hyper aggressively. And all of a sudden they'll fire up. And I'm like, oh, there we go. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> no, it, I... We got a blade bait guy here, Stephen Carey of Binsky's Fish Sense Lures. Oh, he knows. Binsky. Yeah. The Binsky the, those are the only blades I throw for Erie Smallmouth. It's just too much fun. Man. Nice. Have you guys messed much with, uh, I tried some of this this summer, like a heavy blade bait like a really heavy one somewhere in the summer when fish are just dead too offshore. I haven't tried it. I bought some, uh, when we were at Chickamauga for the BPT, but I never got, we got around to throwing them. Uh, yeah. but I could, I could see how they'd be cool. Have you had any luck with yours? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and not so much, we don't have the big shad populations here. Um, I haven't tried it on a place that's actually got, you know, really big shad in there or something like that where they're really get off on a ledge lake. But what I have done, as I've, I've dropped it, I mean, at a fish that I see on, on live scope or something, cause it falls so dang fast. And I've had, I mean, just so many fish follow that thing. And then I, I got on a deal in some, some deep water with that 
big, big one. I mean, I don't know. Was, I guess it wasn't big, big, but it was an ounce or whatever it is and big flashy thing. And, uh, this summer I did. And then I also jacked a bunch of walleye on it. Walleye really seemed to like that thing. So if oh, yeah. you guys are looking for a walleye bait, it's blade bait for money. <laughs> Something about that vibration and the flash and everything combined. It's, it's an old school bait, but it works. It, it, it's sure. one of the more fun ways to catch them too. Yeah. And, uh, one other thing. So when you're saying vertically dropping these spoons, I'm assuming, is this a, a smaller spoon? This isn't something where you're pitching it and this is dropping directly below the boat. What kind of a, a spoon are we talking? Yeah. So I'm using like, uh, I'm using a spinning rod a lot of times and yeah. uh, it's not because it's like super light and finessey, but um, I just love how you can just open the bell on a spinning rod and not have to peel line out for 40 feet. Cause you're, you're lifting and dropping your bait so many times through the course of the day. So like, you know, if I'm not around a bunch of trees or anything like that, I use spinning rod, fairly light line. And I'm using like typically like a half ounce bait, like a half ounce jigging spoon, um, a half ounce snap jig from Berkeley. It's kind of like a winged jig with a, it's like a jig head with wings on it. That's right. And uh, if you've seen a lot of like the ice fishing jigs that are on the market, it's, it's a soft plastic version of that because you'll take that jig head, you'll put a little like a gulp minnow on it and, uh, and you jig it. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, and I do use a lot of the ice fishing jigs as well. So just kind of, those are the three, the, the standard spoon, you know, like a hammer jigging spoon, the snap jig and, and one of the ice fishing jigs. And, um, it's typically like, a it's a spinning rod deal. It's, and it's a smaller bait, you know, it's a, I love throwing a flutter spoon. But it's also it's a it's a it's a deal to find the fish this time of year. You know, okay. for me, anyways, like in the summertime, you know, that's a bait that you'll actually use to really catch them over and over again. But for me, if I'm throwing a blade bait or a flutter spoon, uh, an underspin, anything like that, this time of year, it's to to find them. And uh, you know, once once you're on them, there's no better way just to put them in the boat as fast as you can than straight up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's, it's me up. Yeah, you're getting me excited. Well, like, I mean, <laughs> and and that, uh, I, I agree. As far as the spinning rod goes, it's made a lot of sense to me. When I drop straight down, I find myself not having to reach and pull line out. And um, I agree. I, I've uh, I've whipped out the sissy stick a bunch before for vertical fishing. Just it makes it so much easier. Even if I'm throwing something bigger, it just is so much easier to be able to just drop things fast. Totally, that makes total sense. And, and hey, when you're fishing like that too. Um, whether it's a drop shot or a spoon, like we're talking about here, you know, you're using a swivel a lot of times with the spoon, but line twist can be a real factor. And, uh, if you're using a spinning rod, you're probably using braid and that's a lot easier to manage some line twist. If you got 15 or 17 pound on a bay caster and it gets even a little bit twisted, you've got problems. Yeah. Um, with a spinning rod and eight pound braid, like that line can twist and it's still fine. Like you'll never even have an issue. So uh, it's another reason to do it. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, this kind of answers uh Smith's fishing for life questions. We had a bunch of, of juice there from Josh. Um, as far as what baits to use, let's see, we got one other one that I was going to put up here a little closer to you. So as far as on Lake Pleasant in December, are you still going to be doing those similar type things or, or anything different? Yeah, you know, so uh, Gary Lake Pleasant is uh, it's 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 everything I've kind of talked about definitely works. You know, the jigging spoon's really good. 
Lake Pleasant is one of those lakes that's got a lot of trees. So sometimes I will go to a little heavier line when I'm like spooning in those trees. But, um, you know, a rig, a, um, you know, if, you, if you're fishing a little shallower, an A rig or a small swim bait really works well this time of year. Uh, the fish do stay shallow in that lake. You know, a fair amount stay shallow in the dirtier water parts of the lake. And then when you get deep, you know, and you get down in the lower end of the lake, it's a spoon or a drop shot for sure. Gotcha. So gotcha. my question when in regard to the spoon, do they always eat it on the fall or sometimes when you're like burning it back up to drop on them again? Have you ever gotten them to chase it to the surface and eat it close to the boat? Totally. Yeah. They, they eat it on the fall 90% of the time, but I'll tell you, it drives you nuts sometimes because you're sitting there jigging it. And if they're in a negative mood, they may not be biting it right away. And then you go to reel in and kind of give up and then they follow it up. And now that you've got, now that, you know, you could see that on sonar before, but live yeah. scope is such a difference maker and you can see it all happening live. Yeah. So you'd be like, now you guys want it as I'm reeling it in. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is like, if, if I can't, if I drop down on a school of fish and they don't bite it in the first minute, you know, it's, it's not super common, but it does happen. You know, maybe they're pressured or something like that. The key is getting one to bite. And once mm-hmm. you get one to bite, it's game mm-hmm. on. They get fired up and, and it could be every drop for a while. But you got to get that first one. And if they're in a negative mood, I'll do that a lot of times. I'll just, I'll reel it like if you're in 40 feet, I'll reel it up 10 or 20 feet real fast and try to get a couple to chase and then drop it down, jig okay. it erratically a couple times, drop and just get crazy with it for, for a couple, you know, maybe 30 seconds or a minute and see if that can trigger one. But um, is that something you see your way too, where, you know, sometimes reeling it up, they think it's getting away and they, they get it. I get them to fire like that sometimes with a heavy drop shot. Same here. So like if um, I'm on a boat, I don't have live scope or anything on my boat like that, but I can see it sometimes on 2D, but it's a little laggy if I'm slow reeling it. But if I'm using panoptics or live scope and I still, I'll drop a heavy one. I'll go to like a three quarter ounce and just burn it in to see if I can get them to react. And if they start to come up, I'll kill it. And I'm like, all right, now we got this figured out. And I can always get like five to eight extra bites doing that's that. That's a big, that's a big yeah. difference, man. Yeah. Yep. Some but, it's, you gotta but, see it. but the heavy, like it has to be the heaviest drop shot weight in your box. I've used one ounces and got wow. them to fire. Yeah. So that's cool. but they won't chase up a quarter because it falls too slow. Man. It's a nice little trick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that what you guys are saying as far as reeling that thing in quickly, um, I experienced so on, on actually at Havasu, uh during that tournament, day one, we had four fish and we were trying to make it to the second day where the weight zeroed at Lake Malavi, <clears throat> right? Well, we ended up making it, but that we blew we blew the power head on my buddy's boat running back in. Right. So we're like, oh, great crap. Like, and we weren't, we had not fished really close to the launch where I know a lot of tournaments, a lot of things go down on Havasu right there, but we had not messed with the cages or fished any of that stuff. Well, we were stuck to, I I was lucky enough to have a good college buddy, shout out to Gunnar Stranton, uh, to let borrow his boat on Mojave. But on, on Havasu, we're like, we got another day to fish. We got to catch something here. So ended up, uh, catching a three pound smallmouth. I was on live scope watching all the cages which are just crazy to me i've never seen anything like that and there's fish all around them but they're so pressured and just throwing an eighth ounce tiny little kitek over these cages and when i had one actually eat it was that exact situation nothing was happening nothing was happening and i was reeling it in to make another cast at a different fish and i reeled it up fast and i watched one come out of the cage and smoke it at the boat i mean he came out of 20 feet of water to eat that swim bait 
And, um, man, it's just crazy how that sometimes just that, that you got to make him react. There's got to be something that, that, and especially when there's groups of fish, like we're talking about in the wintertime. That can actually frustrate you, right? Because you're like, dude, I was I'm trying to catch so you. And you're going to bite it like when I'm not trying to catch you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you can learn. And sometimes it's a fluke deal. But yep. sometimes you can learn from it. You know, uh, you see it flipping a lot. You know, where sometimes you won't get bit on your actual presentation. And you get bit as you're reeling the bait out of the water. And uh, if it happens two or three times, it's like, well, maybe I should be swimming a jig instead of flipping today, uh, you know, and, yeah. and you can make little adjustments, but hey, sometimes it's a freak deal. Sometimes it's a psychotic fish. Like, Hey, that's dude. Smallmouth are psychotic, right? So <laughs> it's a crazy smallmouth, but yeah. um, you know, a lot of times you can definitely pick something up from that for sure. For sure. And having that open mind for that now, mm-hmm. um, Man, so so as far as uh, I guess I'm just curious, uh, and I know with some of the cup events and that kind of a thing, you're able to fish more this kind of t- fall period, or even I'm curious to see what have you taken from everything you've learned growing up in the Southwest uh, to apply in winter specific fishing as you go across the country. Maybe talk a little bit about maybe what you've seen in the Midwest and also kind of that Southeast, maybe. Uh, area as well so i mean yeah it's i i wish i had the opportunity to fish more winter mm-hmm. other parts of the country but i do I, I still do get to do it you know sometimes we'll have late fall tournaments maybe really early spring tournaments that kind of fish like winter tournaments and then just random stuff i go to maybe pre-practice a lake back east and it's december or january and uh you know i definitely the lakes in some parts of the country are very different some lakes there's more similarities than i would expect you know there are some things that just work everywhere like i mean winter fishing anywhere in the country i think a jig is probably your best bait a lot of times like if you're not sure what to do when you're talking like late december january february fishing uh, a jig will catch a bass on any body water that's not frozen you know that's it's probably the best jig. yeah yeah <laughs> a crank it's right there you know your bait selection is really minimized so, you know, that's kind of cool. One of the cool things about winter fishing, um, you know, I'm talking about the spoon fishing and that's a huge player out here. It works anywhere that you've got clear water, you know, okay. and somewhat deep water. So very big deal around the Ozarks, you know, and then you get even to the Southeast where you've got those clear herring fisheries and stuff. A spoon's an awesome way to catch them. It works in Texas, you know, but you, but you need that clear water. If you have dirty mm-hmm. water, the spoon's not your friend. It's it's just uh, you you need a couple feet of clarity for this fish to get deep and to see your spoon. Um, if you got dirty water in the wintertime, it's more of a crankbait and jig type deal. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a specific water temp you look for when using those specific baits? You know, for me, not really. The spoon is, you know, as long as the fish have an eye on shad, maybe schooled up. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how this winter things are not cooling off quite as quick in a lot of parts of the country. But for me, they've still been biting it really well. Um, For me, a lot of times I'm not really a water temp guy, you know, and I get that question a lot. Like, you know, what water temp do you start throwing this or stop throwing this? And there are a few things, but I'm actually and it's one thing that I'm learning and working on is not trying to worry too much about water temp because, um, you know, there's so many other factors that just kind of trusting your gut and fishing the conditions of a specific day, you know, 
you might get you might have an amazing day throwing a buzz bait in December if you don't if you don't worry too much about water temp or February, if you don't worry too much about water temp and uh, I'm, I'm th- the same thing with a spoon, you know, like a spoon will work in the summertime too. Um, so I, I don't think I can put like a, a number on that. It sounds like uh, more of always keep everything honest because you don't know what's going to be bit that day. I agree a hundred percent. For the most part. Yeah. If you're, if you're sw- taking a swing at a lake, you've never been there and it's your first time and you're like, I don't know, just, throw it all in the deck and have a ball till you figure it out. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Fishing. It's fun. <laughs> that's, that's one of the, it's one of the crazy things. Like there are always a lot of different options and I'm not saying that, um, you know, uh, there definitely are a lot of times where one thing is going to work a lot better than another. And it makes more sense, you know, if the water's cold to throw a cold water bait. But, um, you know, I definitely don't have like a rule where it's like, these are coming out of the boat when the water temp hits 60 degrees or these are going in the boat when it hits 60 or, you know, as soon as we get a 30 degree night, no more time, you know, none of that stuff. It's <laughs> definitely just kind of feeling it out. Right. Yeah. I I'm on the same, same board and it kind of refers back to the time, time of year light kind of thing for me. But, um, I, I think the biggest thing uh, that I'm, I'm picking up on from you, Josh, is letting the fish tell you what's going on, um, rather than having any preconceived notions, um, I mean, how many times are there just uh, situations where you're like, I did not expect that to work out. And they are smoking a top water and you're like, wow, this is awesome. Sure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you, 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 you know, you got to have your stuff that you're confident in and you've got to have, you know, your, I don't want to say rules, but things that you kind of guidelines by when you're fishing. Right. But um, yeah, you, you just can't, I've learned that you can never say never on anything. <laughs> keeps us coming back for sure yeah no doubt i mean they're simple-minded right their brains are like the size of a pea so they they see everything as food they have to eat that's the simplest way to look at it i like that yeah joe's joe's got a bunch of questions here but before that one other question that i thought of when you were explaining your your spoon fish so i'm curious when you're saying you're spending that uh it may take you all day to find that bite but when it happens it goes off how often are you strictly behind the console graphing to find these fish and how many times are you picking up a spoon and casting them or 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 like you're talking about using a search bait to to make those longer casts maybe those fish are real tight to the bottom um what what is your day look like when it's like hey we got to go find something it may take us five hours i mean what does that look like broken down yeah so you know, the better electronics get, the less fishing you have to do, you know, in general, right? And, um, you know, there are plenty of times where you've got to fish to find them, you know, because of a depth that you're fishing. Maybe you're fishing pretty shallow, maybe, you know, whatever it may be. But um, now is one of those times a year where at least on the lakes that I'm fishing, like, if you don't see fish, there's no fish there. So, like, why even bother, right? You know, yeah. it's uh, – a- and um, it's tough, you know, when you're out with a, with a buddy, or if you're out in a tournament situation, you understand what's going on and you can sit there and idle for an hour without making a cast and feel good about it. It's tough if you're out on a guide trip because you've got these clients that are like, dude, are we ever going to fish? You know? Um, so you gotta be kind of like explaining the scenario to them and like, Hey, look, if we catch them 
if we can find that mother load, we might catch 50 in an hour if we yeah. keep going, you know? Um, so that's, that's all stuff that you have to keep in mind, but really, you know, the better electronics get the, the clear view, which is like basically down and yeah. the side view on the garments I'm running is so good that dude, I, I mean, I'm not going to fish until I see a hundred percent for sure, you know, bass on the screen. And, and I'm not going to this time of year, the, depending on what lake you're at, you know, the, some of these lakes have schools of hundreds of fish. So if I see like two dots, I'm, I mean, if there's two dots in a tree, like that's cool. Maybe you could catch a couple, maybe you catch one or two, but like, it doesn't interest me. It's like, it's like going down the bank when you're sight fishing in the spring, like mm-hmm. you're not going to fish for a one pounder when you're fun fishing, right? You're going to wait till you see a big one. Well, yeah. this is no different. You're idling, looking for spots and you're not going to idle and stop and try to catch one. You're going to idle till you see a bunch and, and, and hopefully have the opportunity to catch a ton of fish. So, uh, it's, it's a, I, it's, I don't know if there's like an exact percentage of time, but a couple of these, these days that I fished recently, you know, if you fish eight hours, you definitely spend at least a couple of them looking. And then when you for sure see fish, you stop. And, and for me anyways, if I get up on the front, and it doesn't look good. I'm not, I'm not catching them right away. I pretty much keep moving. You know, a lot of times it's like a one or two minute stop because it's, it's a needle in a haystack, but man, when you can find it, it's uh, I mean, the fish get more grouped up now this time of year than any time of year. Um, so, you know, it's either going to be really good or, or dead water. Sure. Yeah, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And do you feel that there's a time frame? I mean, if you're looking for them and you find them in the morning or you're looking for them and you find them late in the evening, I mean, do you feel like there's a window or is it, you just got to find the right fish and, and it's going on? That's a good question, Adam. And time is a huge factor. And I think the reason for that, well, I'm sure there are multiple reasons, but the biggest one is they don't eat all day long. This time mm-hmm. of year, the metabolism moves so slow you know, and certain lakes, you know, the fish, if you don't hit them at that right at the right time, it can be really tough. And, and sometimes you never really know what that time's going to be. Sure. Um, you know, for me, there's always a window right at first light, even in the wintertime, you know, it's kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but even in the wintertime, there's always some fish biting right at first light. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it, if you've got a really good spot, you have really, really, really good spot, you know, probably doesn't matter. But I've definitely been in a lot of scenarios this time of year where you, you know, you know where a bunch of fish are at. You caught them a couple days ago. You go back, say you caught them at 11 o'clock or 12 when the sun was really high. And you go back at 8 o'clock and the graph just looks a little bit different. Maybe there's a little bit more bait in the area. Maybe the fish are moving around a little bit more. And you don't catch anything. But you come back at noon at the same time you caught them the day before and it's gangbusters and then they quit biting and they quit biting and they don't bite the rest of the day, you know? And, and like, I definitely think it's, it's a consistent thing this time of year, as far as like on a specific spot on a specific body of water. But, um, it's so hard to pinpoint because I even see like the lake I'm fishing a lot right now, Roosevelt in Arizona, mm-hmm. different spots, are really good at different times of day. And it's really hard for me to explain why, but, um, you know, and that's the difference of, of sometimes of, of catching nothing or having a banner day is your timing. But I would say it's the fall and winter in general. If you've got a place that you have a lot of confidence in that it, it 
has fish around it, hit it several times through the day because, um, you know, they're not going to eat all day and it just has to work out once. Yeah, no, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes it frustrating, especially, um, from a tournament perspective too. This is a little bit of a selfish question, but I'm, I'm headed down to, uh, Lake Eufaula here. I guess I leave Friday, uh, for the Bassmaster team national championship. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, gosh, you know, this time of year, I, I do feel like timing is so important and it's like, and it's on a place you've never been and you have two and a half days to break it down. It's like, you might be in the right spot just at the wrong time and never find a group of fish, right. That would have taken you all the way or something. So it makes That's, it tough for sure. sounds like title fishing, right? Like you fish over the winning fish at the wrong time and you never even know it, but, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really like, we're talking about, I'm talking about a lake that I fish all the time and I know really well, but man, you know, when you're on a body of water that you don't know real well, you're just, you just know you're going to get less information from those fish. So it's, 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 it just makes it tougher in general and you got to be extra sharp. Hmm. For sure. For sure. It, absolutely. Especially this time of year, as you're just pointing out, like fall and winter are so important to know precisely where the fish are if you go to a lake blind sometimes it's hard to figure out because they're not always where they're supposed to be they don't like to read the book no doubt yeah and hey this time of year like uh i think most tournaments this time of year as as far as that a day is concerned tournament days these tournaments are won in flurries more than Mm -hmm. other times of year like like uh i look back at any tournament i've done really well with this in this time of year and like I can look back at like a thirty-minute window, where I pretty much caught all the weight, and then the rest of the day might have been an extreme struggle. So, you really need to know when to be in the exact place and line it up perfectly, and it's and it's easy. But like, if you miss that window, it's very difficult, and that's what makes it such a challenge this time of year. Fun fishing, it's not a big deal. You got all day, you can mess around, but otherwise, sure. you you have that extra pressure from the the clock ticking, and everything's just amplified, and it makes it really tough, man. Like it's so important this time of year to have a good place to start on. You know, it's so important. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, you're not fishing for a bite here, a bite there, a bite. You're not necessarily fishing where you're getting your five throughout the day. I mean, it sounds like a lot of your success this time of the year has been, man, it is a grind in 30 minutes. I don't know how, but we got 20 pounds and we're coming in. <laughs> bang, bang. We ran into them, dude. It was awesome, man. But I've five minutes ago, there. need three, got four. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So uh, we got T Chang here. He's got a good question. He wants to know what palette color you're running for your live oh. scope. And can that vary? I'm going to add a second part. Could it vary from water, like body of water to body of water, like clear water, muddy, stained? Do you That's change your palette color? Great question. And, um, you know, really, I don't do like a crazy amount of adjustment with my live scope. Um, I run it on, on the basic of the generic Amber that, that you see 90% of the time. And uh, it works really well for me. I mix up my side palettes on uh, side view sometimes, you know, and, and, and I don't even same thing. I don't have rules. I just like, I'll look at it and say, well, you know, man, maybe this, this, I could see a little bit better by mixing it up and I might try orange crawfish or I might try a blue or a green but with live scope, I pretty much keep it sim, uh, you know, pretty pretty simple and, and leave it on amber. 
awesome. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. I keep it pretty simple with that, and it's what I like most of the time too. And just I'm just messing with with settings as far as if there's a clarity difference. But one other question here, Joe. Joe's got a couple here, but let's start with uh, Joe. This one, and I'm <laughs> curious. No wait, because he's hammering you guys. Wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Wondering if Josh ever throws an A-rig in Arizona for those deep fish. And I'll follow up just like Andy did. When is your best time time frame for throwing that A-rig? Yeah, so the A-rig, it's still, if you're looking for a big fish this time of year, it's probably the number one way to do it. It's not the, you know, it, it, for me, I'm not going to do it if I'm messing around fun fishing because it's, it's literally fishing an A-rig that deep. Mm-hmm. It's a pain. You know, it's a pain to get it down there that deep. It's you're going to lose a lot of baits in the trees. It's just a pain. But if you're trying to win tournaments and catch big fish, you know, and it's, it's really tough to beat. It's, it, it wins a ton of tournaments and, and I throw it a lot in tournaments. Um, a lot of guys and I'll do it too. We'll even long line in Alabama rig this time of year, you know, because if you're fishing it that deep, if you just think about it, physics wise, you launch the farthest cast you can and you have to get it down there 40 feet all it's going to want to do is just start coming up the minute you start reeling, right? right? Unless you're using crazy heavy weight. So to be really efficient, the best way to do it is if it's legal in your tournament is to long line it like you're long lining a deep diving crankbait. And I'll do that a lot, but dude, it's just, I mean, if it's, you know, the fish have to be positioned right. And um, you got to be willing to just be patient with it. You know, it's not, it's not the funnest way to catch them, but it's very effective. Dang, dang, yeah. I mean, and I feel like too, just the technology with with live scope and everything else has taught me so much as far as how fast I really think I'm I'm bringing an A rig in because it's so easy to pick up, you know, on live scope. It's amazing on live scope. You're right. You just you're sitting there. I'm like, wow. I'm I'm over forty feet of water, and I could have told you the last five years that I was reeling this thing on the bottom or like within the the bottom five feet, and I am halfway through the column, and these fish are coming out needing it from way. Great point, Adam. Yep. Yep. It's crazy. And well, and I'm, this is a kind of off subject, but also great just for uh, your career and everything else to hear. Joe wanted to ask if there's time, which I'm just going to throw it in here now, but um, whether or not your win on the St. Lawrence changed how you fished events after that win. Yeah, that's a good question, man. You know, for me, that tournament was a, uh, a, just a big monkey off my back, really. You know, I had been fishing for like six years on tour and um, hadn't had one, right? And I was watching all my buddies get their first wins and just that monkey was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Um, so it was a very relieving feeling at the time. And it hasn't really changed a ton because like, you know, a win does a ton for, uh, you know, any professional fisherman, that first like national win is mm-hmm. huge. It, it, it gives you more legitimacy. It's there's, there's nothing that gives you more exposure and, and, and um, helps your career more than winning a tournament. Like it's a, it's a huge deal. I can't overstate that, but uh, at the same time, it's not enough to where you can, to me anyways, um, you know, totally change your style of fishing. Um, maybe fish a bunch more aggressively or whatever. Cause it's at the end of the year, it still is like, Hey, I still have to make sure that I get enough points to qualify for the red crest or the classic or whatever it is. And like, you, you, you know, it's, it, 
points are still important for me. It hasn't changed it a ton. Um, but you know, it'd be interesting to ask, ask some other guys and see, you know, but, um, you know, for me anyways, I don't know. I think I've probably kind of kept, a at least a similar mindset before and after. For sure. Makes a lot of sense. No, I, I, uh, Glad to glad that that uh, I mean it feels like it is such an important thing on guys getting their careers going and uh, to survive without a win it seems very very difficult especially it seems like you see some of these careers that have blossomed have been because of an early win mm-hmm. in a guy's career for sure hundred percent it's a, it's a big deal man it really is yeah yeah well Andy do you have anything else on uh, winter fishing or or in in Josh's area yeah so. My one big thing would be because you guys have all three there, right? Largemouth spots and smallmouth, or am I mistaken? Actually, no spots. I've no done spots. a lot of winter fishing for spots in other places, but not. We don't have any here. You probably have to go across that. the border There's to none, California. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and a lot in the southeast too. You know, the southeast those clear yeah. bodies of water, but um, and the Herring Lakes and stuff. But um, yeah, it, they would do great out here. They've just never been introduced, so it's actually hard to believe, man. Yeah, it is. And, that's crazy because a lot of people stock those things like in lakes in the southeast illegally because they want them. Wow. They want another fish. Oh, yeah. there's. I was reading oh. some articles about it that they just start like showing up, especially like the Alabama spotted bass. They're like showing up in like West Virginia lakes and stuff because really? people oh. are moving them and transplanting them. Yeah. Because, the bus biologist. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So it's that's like, uh, but like I'm surprised nobody's like, transported them out west yet just for that reason it's kind of crazy because i feel like they would do really well but um if you had to choose one of the largemouth smallmouth or spot which one would you uh, choose to target in winter if you could it's pretty interesting um they act really different you know they act very different right and Mm -hmm. uh, the spots are awesome because they're they don't mind the cold water they bite pretty dang good in the cold water. They're almost always there for you. If you know where they're at, they're always willing right. to bite. So they're great. I mean, I love them. The smallmouth in a lot of lakes don't go as deep as the largemouth in lakes right. that have them both, which is which might surprise a lot of people. Backwards. Yep. <laughs> that but, surprises um, me a lot. Yeah. We've got, you know, a handful of lakes out here that get really deep. And the largemouth, you know, the spoon fishing that I'm talking about you almost never catch a smallmouth. But if you pick up a jerk bait or a crankbait and you go shallow, you'll start catching smallmouth. Uh, mm. And I think a part of that might be, I was talking about it the other day with a buddy, might be because they're more sight feeding and largemouth will feed with their lateral line a little bit more. And I just don't know if, I mean, I know you guys catch them deep on the Great Lakes and I've caught smallmouth in 40, 50 feet, you know, on the St. Lawrence River and, and uh, in that really clear water. But um, if they've got the choice, they just seem to stay shallower in our lakes this time of year, which is, I mean, I'm not talking five feet. That's, sure. They might be at five feet. Do your lakes pull a lot of current? Almost no current. Almost no current. Okay. Because yep. I would say that could be um, a common factor as well. So on the river system in the Great Lake, I'm going to give up a little bit more juice here. I find we catch them shallower even as the water gets into the low 40s than we do in the lakes. Hmm. But in the summertime, it's completely backwards. In the summertime, I can catch them shallow in the lakes. And hmm. in the river, I have to go deep. So 
just a little Wacky. funny tidbit there. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so like if I were to go out on the river, which is eight minutes from my house right now, I could probably catch them in ten foot or less. I'm moving baits, even though the water temp is 44, 45 degrees in the river. So they don't need to jet down deep over there mm-hmm. right away. They don't need to rush it. I've, I've caught them with 38 degree temps in six foot of water on moving baits. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> but then I go out in Lake Erie and I'm like, I can't catch them in under 35 foot. So it, it's just, it's completely different. There's eight miles separating the fish. It's funny. Yeah, so the current's the factor there. Yeah. And it all depends on what you fish, right? But it, And it's a good question. What's your favorite to catch? But I just find myself catching more largemouth this time of year, even though, which is, which is ironic because the smallmouth and spots are maybe more of a cold water bass a little bit. Right. And if I was fishing on table rock, you know, that's a great example. They just had that monster tournament, the Bass Pro Shops tournament last week. And mm-hmm. I think smallmouth and spots probably paid, played a massive factor. I know they did in the guys' bags that won. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be different, but the way I fish here in Arizona, I just end up catching more largemouth. But it, it all depends on the body of water. You know, you go to Lake Havasu in the wintertime, I catch more smallies the way I fish than largemouth. It it totally depends on where you're at. Your your techniques change and a lot of times it's it's interesting. They don't act the same. The fish will kind of do different different things. Yeah, I, I would say you probably run into more largemouth bigger largemouth up shallow when you're targeting smallmouth as opposed to the opposite you because you already said you don't catch smallmouth when you're fishing deep for largies you just but, don't catch them where i where i live in 40 yeah. feet you just don't catch them at all but yeah you're right i mean you might you might catch a stray largemouth up there and it might be big for sure gotcha and when are, when you're there in these big schools are you noticing a size where they're all you know is it all two pounders or are you getting in mixed in a four pounder that's in with those two pounders or is are all the fish together what do you see in school wise it's pretty random this time of year more than others a lot of times a year i really feel like fish school by size depending on what the type of bait fish they're eating you know Mm -hmm. like uh tennessee river you might have a spot that's got some big ones on it because there's gizzard shad that come through there a lot um out here it's just one of those deals where almost all the fish in the lake start doing the same thing so the little bass the big bass all the other species you know um a lot of the other species i should say like you'll catch dude like i I go all year long and might catch two catfish (laughs) and uh there's not a day where i don't catch more than two catfish on a jigging spoon i mean we caught a monster flathead the other day we caught i saw that yeah so like and it just goes to show that like that's the comfortable depth. That's where the bait's at. That's where everything wants to live. And you do see mix, like you'll be spooning up some small ones and then you will, you'll catch a four or five pounder. Um, and you have, since you have the smaller fish, you've got the bluegill down there, you got the yellow bass and um, you got the giant bass that are there to eat the yellow bass. So um, they're not there, to, they're there, but they're not there for the shad. They're there for the yellow bass. So and it's one of the cool things about spoon fishing. And I know it's not just here in Arizona. I talked to my buddy, John Murray, that, you know, fishes, uh, watch bar in Chickamauga a lot. And dude, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, just a, a melee down there. Every single fish that lives in the lake, you might catch on a jigging spoon, you know, because oh. a lot, a lot of them are down there. Just white so bass, hybrid the little right? hammered spoons, any, any spoon, like, like anything like that. Yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, it's just where everything is living. A, you know, a clear body body of water that time of year everything goes down there 
Yeah. Awesome. That is awesome. We got T Chang asking, uh, is Josh planning to run the new Nitro XL next season? 100%. Yeah, I've got it on order and I uh, can't wait to get it for sure. Yeah, it looks nice. awesome. I mean, it's got a little, it looks similar from far away, but you, you get into the boat and you notice a lot of differences, some, some new storage stuff, some new features. And um, they say it's faster and a better ride. It's already, you know, a good ride and um, already runs great. So I, I can't wait. The front deck looks massive. It does. And, uh, you know, the, it's already massive on my boat, dude. So, like, I, <laughs> it's insane. I, I can't wait for sure. So better it's better. funny going back like 10 years ago when I started bass fishing local club, everybody's running like cookie cutter, 18, six Tritons. And, uh, what would be the other one? Like, the the Z I forgot what the Ranger was, but not the five series. This, the, like the one, one nines. Yeah. Okay. Everybody had like one, one nines or, um, cookie cutter Tritons, one eighty sixes. And my buddy Joe had a Z nine. And we're like, this thing looks like an aircraft carrier <laughs> on the water compared to everything else. Because it's so, like, outside the water, they look very, like, clean and they have very crisp cuts. But you put it in the water, it looks like a big box. And it's just funny how it looked compared to everything else. I've like, never – and that's all I've ever had, right? I've been fishing yeah. out of those – I mean, I've had – I had a handful of Z9s, handful of the 21s, and uh, they're just – I've never fished out of like a narrow, small boat. So um, I've been lucky. I mean, they're, I, I, I'm all about fishability and stability yeah. and storage. And, and they got a ton of it for sure, dude. You're right. They're just like, they're battleships. Yeah. <laughs> it's like watching them run down the lake at 70 of that thing. I'm like, that thing's going to take someone out. It's massive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like everyone's got like 18 foot tritons out. and he's got this almost, what, what are they? 21 foot. Four, I think, right? Or 21 foot two. Yeah, tw- it might be 21 four. It might be. Yeah. I think it's 20 at least. Yeah, maybe 21 four. I was going to say 21 yeah. three. So, yeah, like they're, they're massive boats compared to just about everything else. Besides, I think like 21 PHXs now, those things are just huge. But, yeah, um, maybe 21 six. Yeah. So it's just crazy. Like, it was funny. All these little tiny boats in this big Z9. I'm like, <laughs> you don't belong here, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Hilarious. Dude, that you remember that. <laughs> yeah. So Thanks. he turned out to be one of my really good buddies and he makes all these, like all my net heads and stuff for me. But it's just that, that first time I saw that, boat, I was like, wow, like this is cool. <laughs> that's fun. So uh, I guess that's a good segue into 2022. Um, are you just going to fish the BPT or are you going to fish the tackle warehouse circuit as well? Good question, man. Um, I think I'm just going to fish BPT. It's uh, I'd love to do both. I, I love both styles of tournaments and the more tournaments, the better, but um, man, I got seven BPTs, red crest, heavy hitters, uh, us open. That's 10 tournaments already, depending on cups. You know, the last couple of years I've fished a couple cups each fall. Yeah. So potentially, you know, a couple more tournaments there. Oh, it's just a lot. And it I've is. got, I've got a, a three and a five-year-old. So, um, you know how that is, dude. It's just mayhem at the house. Yep. So, um, you know, I liked it. It's nice to be able to get home. If I'm gone for 10 days or 12 days, it's nice to be able to get home for a week or at least three or four days to spend some time with the kids, be a part of their life. And, uh, you know, I'm already gone a lot. So it, it would just be really hard for, especially coming from Arizona, the, the travel to logistically, 
it's almost impossible to drive home after every tournament back east already. So I'm booking flights and leaving my rig in crazy places and, you know, trying to ship tackle out and do this and that. And um, it's it's about all I can handle at this point in my life doing one tour. But um, you never know down the road. I mean, I would love on a fi- from a fishing standpoint, I'd love to do it. But um, from a, a lifestyle deal, I just couldn't pull it off. I don't think it'd be it'd be mayhem. It, it sounds like um, there needs to be more big tournaments out west to make your life a little easier. <laughs> like that's, I think that bothers a lot of bass fishing fans. Is the fact none of the major tournament trails go west, like ever. It'd be amazing if there were one or two a year. You know, I mean, I've I've literally never in my whole life had a tournament on a home lake. You know, we had one elite series tournament at Hapsu, mm-hmm. which is still four and a half hours from my house. So relatively home. It was an amazing thing for me. But like, you dude, still have I mean, to book a hotel or campground or an Airbnb. Yeah. And from a just to have an advantage from a fishing standpoint, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I, I love you know I love fishing back east and. Um, I have the option to move back east and I, I, I could do it. So I can't, you know, I have this conversation with Luke, Justin Lucas all the time. And he's like, you know, if I start complaining like I am now, you guys are doing nice <laughs> but If I start complaining, he goes, you could move, you could move to Alabama like I did, you know? And, uh, yeah, right. you know, I, I'm like, you're right, you're right. You know, so uh, it, it's my choice to live out here and that's where the tournaments are at. And, uh, but hopefully one day we start to see a few more, man. It's just, it's far, it's far for, a lot of the other fishermen to go it's far for the league to go and and there's more that goes into selecting lakes too you know and yeah. uh, a lot of the lakes in the central part of the country and the southeast they um welcome bass fishermen with open arms and not to say that they wouldn't do that out here but um i just don't know if that's really been on the table you know and if, if they would or not sure and i mean uh Another thing too, and it's, it's cool to see, I'm curious to see with Rick Pierce kind of backing some of the stuff with some of these, the Western championship stuff that's going to happen this next year and taking from all these different leagues, right? There's a lot of different leagues out West. Um, and it's not like we don't have the bodies of water necessarily. There's a lot of, um, great fisheries, big bodies of water, uh, that are generally though around, uh, less populated areas, right? There's just less people. The more Western states you go, there's just a lot of areas that are um, not super populated. And I think that a lot of times when it goes into making a a tournament lake decision, right, having a municipality that's going to support the tournament organization is uh, is a big deal. And Josh, like you said, it may not just no one's ever thought of it necessarily from that standpoint when it comes to some of these smaller communities on these kind of middle of nowhere places. That's a it's a great point, Adam. And and that literally I mean when they're looking for good lakes to fish, I know all the circuits, they want good fishing, but right up there with good fishing is like, you know, how good of a business decision is this? And is there, you know, what does the money look like? And that's just the bottom line. And that is what it is. And it's, it's really hard, you know, in the world we live in today with all the uncertain certainty of tomorrow in the crazy country we live in, like if you can get money to go somewhere and you have to go somewhere and get no money, you know, it's, it's hard to, why would you not go where there's money? So I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I'd love to see it, man. And I, I feel like eventually it will happen, but um, yeah. it's going to take some people to really, really go above and beyond to, uh, to make it happen at first. For sure. For sure. Well, Andy, uh, I guess you, with, you were talking about the schedule for next year. So it sounds like Josh, um, 
just fishing the BPT, which I, I like all your points there on, on doing that. Um, as far as the schedule goes, what are you looking most forward to? And I've got it pulled up here, but what event? So when I look at the schedule, a lot of times I instantly just go to the end of the summer and see where we're going to fish for smallmouth because that's my favorite thing. And we're going to Mille Lacs, so that's going to be awesome. Yes. I'm really looking forward to that. It's been uh, since 2017 that I was there last, so that'll be awesome. The first tournament's going to be awesome. You know, it's and part of that is we're going to new bodies of water. We're going to a couple smaller bodies of water in Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah. All I know about these lakes, I'm going to start doing my research here pretty soon for tournaments next year. All I know is there were monster bags that have been have been being caught over the last handful of years on these bodies of water. And uh, they're just new. So new is cool, man. I mean, it's, that'll be awesome. Um, you know, it's a good solid schedule throughout the whole course of the year. Uh, you know, Cayuga up in, in New York is awesome. I've never been to Lake of the Ozarks. I've heard that out of the Ozark lakes, that is the lake with the best quality of fish, you know, the most big largemouth. So I'm looking forward to that even though it's full of docks and uh, I despise docks. Like your boaters. Yeah. 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 Well, at least you're there at a good time of year. But yeah. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to watch the Ozark show on Netflix, the new season to get myself <laughs> up for that when it comes out. But uh, dude, it's a good schedule overall. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can be uh, in the mix at the end of the year when we go to Malax and have a good tournament there and end it out on a good note for sure. Awesome. Heck yeah. No, I think it's an incredible schedule. Uh, when, when this got released, I was, I was thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. You have a mix of some old favorites, right? Like Lake Fork at a great time when the fishing should be just awesome. And then you have uh, a bunch of these other lakes mixed, mixed in small lakes, and then even Watts bar in June should be awesome. You know, an offshore deal there. It'll so fish fest. yeah, people are going to catch tons of fish. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's loaded, man. So should be a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm glad you think it's a good schedule. I do too. I think it'll be really fun and different lakes. You know, some some years you look at the schedule and you're stoked. You know exactly how it, how all the tournaments are going to kind of fish, right? And this is one where it's like, well, you know, there's a there's a handful of new ones there, so it you know it levels the playing field a little bit, and uh, you know it's new and exciting for everyone to watch. For sure. For sure. And, um, man, and and I almost wonder too, with it, I like how the BPT goes to some of these smaller locations and these smaller fisheries. Do you feel that maybe a rookie coming on from the tech warehouse pro circuit that, that isn't necessarily a, um, I shouldn't say that tech warehouse pro circuit guys are super far traveling, you know, seasoned anglers, but with some of these other bodies of water, do you feel that there's a little bit more of an advantage to those, um, going to those up and coming anglers versus maybe another tournament series where it is, it is locked in. It, they always go to the same places over and over. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. If you, if you don't have much experience uh, and I said, you said it right. Like these guys have experience, right. But if you are a guy that's young and you make it in and you're 25 and you haven't been everywhere 10 times, like, absolutely a new body of water you actually have a clean slate and in our deal there's no information right so it's it's your personal experience and what you can find on the internet and that's it sure um 
you know, the, the body, like the Louisiana lakes, um, Watts bar. Those are tournaments that we haven't been. I mean, like, like you take Lake Chickamauga, we've been to Chickamauga the last three years. So mm. if you've never been on Lake Chickamauga, now you're going to come fish against a bunch of wolves that have lived at Lake Chickamauga for the last three years, you know, good luck, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely um, new bodies of water or a clean slate for everyone. And I think even a lot of the experienced guys, love fishing new lakes you know uh, yeah you know i Makes talked to sense. skeet reese about it and, and dude all he just wants to go to new lakes he just wants the uh it's fun to go to a new lake you know you, there's no feeling like launching your boat on a body of water for the first time and not having any clue what to expect or what direction to go or any no one it's just dude it's fun and it's one of the things we all love about bass fishing is the curiosity of what this lake's got to offer what kind of fish are in it how do you catch them and um i mean you go to a lake that you've been to a million times and you know okay well it's summertime these are the four places where typically it goes down and there's maybe a chance one person in the top 10 can fish somewhere else other than that you're gonna have to bull your way in and fish this spot um it i mean that gets old so it's definitely cool it's a breath of fresh air no Um, doubt man for sure. And it's, it's cool to watch too. Like, I mean, Hey, how many, uh, you know, if you're, and that's one of the things that would be cool about coming out West. I think the viewership would, there would be bodies of water that no one's ever seen before. And I think people would think it'd be interesting to see how you break down these bodies of water compared to the same old lakes back East. Mm -hmm. Now I wonder if this is another major factor and why they don't go out West is cell coverage because everything is alive today. Right. Yep. Some of those lakes are so remote and desolate away from population that there's just not cell phone service, so they can't physically pull it off. You would it's have no life Yes, for sure. And, yeah, that's for sure, man. I, you know, I, I half the lakes out here are desolate, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So, but it would be cool just to see them go to, like, a mead in a big tournament setting. Yet the wind blows all the time, but that'd be just an awesome. Oh, dude, it would be, it would be, and it'll happen. It will happen, but um, it would be different. I can promise it'd be different than any tournament we've seen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think there's ways around some of that too. I mean, I agree. uh, It's super handy, and there's the need. I think technology is getting better and better, and and you've seen that with the BPT and everything uh, as far as the cell stuff on guys boats and having all this, you know, I think that that's going to get better and better on mm-hmm. coverage. And I mean, we've You're seen right. the elite series go to Lake Oahe. Uh, I spent a little bit of time on that place at a fascination event and it is desolate as desolate gets, man. I mean, it is similar to a lot of these Western lakes where it's, it looks like a, you know, it, up there it's kind of pasture desert, but it's in the middle of nowhere, man. It's, and there's very yeah. few population. And you can't make it in the, in the, the, the stat units are amazing. Like you're totally right. You need the service, but you know, Oahe, uh, like we fished Sam Rayburn this year and dude, I mean, there's times where you launch your boat on Rayburn and you can't get a call out or a text out all day. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. And we fished it and the stat units were good enough to make it work. So it's amazing what they can do to boost the service, but, um, it is a, it's a factor for sure. And, uh, it's something they got to, you know, they have any lake that they think they're going to fish, they've got to survey it. And they drive the entire rim of the lake um, from one end to the other. And uh, they would have to do that first for sure. I see. Okay. Looks like we got a couple of, of Maxent questions here. So T. Chang's wondering what Berkeley soft plastic bait does Josh see going into the Max Line scent? 
That's interesting, man. Well, I mean, this is the newest one right here. This is the uh, Chigger Craw that everyone loves already. Um, Chigger Craw in Max Sand. It's amazing. It's it's interesting. It looks a little different in the water than the Powerbait Chigger Craw. They're both great. But you put this thing on, a, on the back of a jig or on a Texas rig, and it just looks a little different. I'm loving it. I'm catching a lot of fish on it. I'm trying to think of what would be a cool one to to do next that we don't have now. Hip boss. I, that's like my favorite regular power bay shape, dude. So, Andy, I think you're onto something there. That would be interesting. Well, the only reason I say it because I pointed out last time, but I see five packs there, I think, of heavy. Yeah, it, what else do we boxes. have? I mean, <laughs> dude, anything, anything that works in power bay, I mean, it probably would be a little bit better in max scent, right? Um, yeah. Worms are awesome. I'd love to see a big power worm. We've got a couple like uh, we've got a couple worms that are already in the uh, max scent, but um, yeah, I think uh, the power bait would be awesome. We're doing tubes now, which are awesome for smallmouth. You know, the uh, we're doing yeah. some small smallmouth tubes. So, um, and there's Joe right there popping in. I see that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hilarious, dude. Hey, <laughs> and I like throwing a tube, but um, yeah. it takes a lot to get a drop shot out of my hand, man. I yeah. love drop shotting so much. I, I need someone to hit me in the head with a hammer and be like, put it down, pick up a tube for me to throw a tube over a drop shot. So it's if you're on the, the, go ahead, Andy. The tube conversation. A lot of people have put the tube away for a Ned rig. I get, and I throw a Ned rig a lot, dude. You know, you hear the tube's amazing. People have won millions of dollars on tubes, but Every tournament weigh-in, there's a guy complaining about all the fish he lost on a tube. Yeah, that's and exactly I'm like, right. not me, dude, because I wasn't. I was on something else. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, Josh. It was kind of you're saying. I I feel like uh, part of the reason, and I, this was my first time ever going up north. I fished the open on the St. Lawrence this last year nice. uh, on those bodies of water, but like the drop shot is so efficient from a fish catching standpoint of getting that fish in. I know you're on light line and everything else, but as long as you are in open water, it is a good land percentage Great. compared to a tube, especially a heavy tube, like a big heavy tube on a casting rod. Yeah. You can wind them in, but there's just a lot of leverage with that big thing. For some reason, I just, I agree. I've seen some fish come off on a tube for sure. Always. That's why I use the net rig instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point though, Andy. I mean, Hey, what does a tube do that a net rig doesn't? Not a lot, right? It's, it's very similar. It's on the bottom, it's in the rocks and, uh, you just got a little bit more gap there on the hook and, uh, boy, they just love that. Whatever your net bait is, they love, you know, a little, little general or whatever it is. They love a short little stubby bait. Smallmouth just love that. Yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not... Meadow and Max sent there, Joe. That's a good one, dude. For sure, I uh, like that. Yep, it's good stuff. One of my favorite baits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is. It is a little bit of a different plastic. Do you have any uh, insight on that, Josh? As far as I couldn't tell you the science be between either one. You know, I just know how they fish and the benefits of both. You know, um, I love that three-inch minnow. It's one of the baits that I still, you know, gulps of pain to deal with. Man, I mean, it dries out. It's you know, it's not like Mac. One of the beauties of Mac scent is it never dries out. It, that scent stays in it forever. It fishes more like a standard plastic, but um, I love that three inch minnow, the gulp minnow. I just love it. I throw it all the time. You know, I'm doing some crappie fishing even coming up, and I got two and a half inch gulp minnows loaded up and ready for that. Um, I took my son, took my son up to the lake the other day. 
and we're doing this spooning and there's treble hooks and hooks all over these spoons. Right. And I'm like, that's uh, I don't know if I will trust him. He's three. I'm like, oh, I don't boy. know if I trust him with all those hooks. So I took just a straight, like, um, you know, a ball head jig or, um, whatever the type of jig head, whatever it's called that you would use on Demiki rig where it stands out sideways like that. It's, it's escaping yeah. me right now, but I put a three inch minnow on that and uh, he did some work pretty good for a three-year-old just dead sticking that thing in the schools of fish that I was jigging my spoon. So it's just such a good bait that just catches fish everywhere you go. That's, I mean, if there's a top five of smallmouth baits of all time, that's, that's in it for sure. But I mean, I was catching largemouth on it the other day. That's awesome. No, I, that's a fish catching fool, dude. When uh, we were struggling at Havasu, that is what we found that we could catch small. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's uh, cool. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was like that. And then also those big red ears and everything else. On a drop was, shot or what? Yeah. On a drop shot. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But it was, I mean, uh, in watching them on live scope too, we had a really hard time getting fish to eat and it was a three inch, uh, the gold minnow, which like you said, I love them and I hate them. I hate running down the lake, making a long run and being like, well, this one's dried up, but yeah. uh, it works flat Dude, out. It's still one of the baits that I go to, even as amazing as Maxine is, I still throw it an emerald shiner, just like Joe said there. I throw some out sometimes, but emerald shiner, mm-hmm. it is, if I'm having a tough time, that's what I put on for sure. I'm going to go out there and throw my favorite gulp bait. It's the fry. Nice. That's and the old then, school one, dude. Yeah. I don't know much anymore. Then, That's good. Like four, I probably have like 20 packs of them, and I always have them just in case they stop eating everything. Like, I'm just going to try to throw a fry, and I can always pick up like a five-pounder on it. Just I'll get one bite, but it'll always be a giant. Always. Oh, there's, something, so, there's something special about it. I couldn't tell you what it is, why, but they just bite it. So... I bought all of mine, I think, like six years ago on Tackle Warehouse. They put them on sale because there was like a short period where they discontinued them. So they went on oh, sale. Really? I bought a bunch of them. They disappeared for like four years, and then they came back. That's cool. So like I have this huge stockpile. They're still good. I think I'm down to like four or five bags. Oh, man. Yeah, you might yeah. need to order some more. You know, Max yeah. is so good. You just never know like when something like that is going to go away, yeah. right? Because it's like, exactly. and who's still buying them? But it's still catching fish like crazy. It's literally oh, yeah. like the, the toilet paper of the of the world when it comes to like pandemic stuff. It's like, all right, <laughs> everyone load up. Here we're going north. <laughs> like, you better, well, you thank goodness, flatworms are coming back into stock like in regularity. Because I was Lots starting to get a little low, too, man. Like I got forty bags of flatworms, and I was feeling a little like a uh, little like worried that i wasn't gonna be able to buy anymore <laughs> so it's like oh, it's gonna, be a, gonna be a rough rough end of the year and then they all started coming to stock I'm like thank goodness <laughs> that's cool yeah i'm glad to hear that they're loading back up yeah people yeah. uh people go nuts over it and rightfully so it's good it's real good heck yeah well andy um Man, I, I think we uh, start wrapping things up. Did you have anything else uh, you wanted to go into with Josh here on the schedule oh, next year? I guess uh, one off-the-wall question would be, what are some of your big plans for 2022 off the water? Well, oh, off like the pro that. tour. Great question. Yeah. Um, dude, you know, that's that's a, that's a good one. Okay, so for me um, – I've got, it's, you know, just as a, as a dad, right. It's a big year for my kids. My daughter's going to school. They're starting to get into sports and stuff like that. So when I'm home, it's going to be really trying to 
push that and uh, help them with that as much as possible. Um, you know, as far as like, uh, and I guess off the water, that's like the biggest thing just trying to try to do well there, you know, keep everything really tight. You know, this year, you know, I hate to bring it back to tournament fishing, but I was not as sharp as I should have been. And there were a lot of tournaments where I was like, would end up having an okay tournament, you know, maybe make the first cut, but not make the second cut or leave some, some points or a, a better finish on the board from not being sharp you know just w- maybe one thing a tournament dude where you miss one extra fish or but it's stuff that you can control so i definitely want to make sure i'm just a little bit sharper on all those things and, and that gets down to literally every little thing that maybe eating a little bit better maybe exercising a little bit more it keeps your mind a little bit sharper sleeping a little bit better keeps you sharper working you know not being lazy when you're working on your tackle and saying, oh, you know, I mean, it was good enough for my last cast. So it'll be good enough for my first cast, you know, that type of stuff. So just sharpening things up on that. But other than that, man, just trying to uh, trying to have some fun with my kids and uh, get them out on the water, get them, get them, you know, busy in sports and stuff and uh, having, having a good year. Awesome. Yeah. Now my daughter will be three next summer. So I think it's going to be the first year I actually like take her out fishing on the boat. I got, answer, her, I got her on the boat this year and uh, all she wanted to do was hit the horn. And then she got terrified of it because it was so loud on my train. It was oh man, <laughs> dude, I'll tell you, my son goes in my boat and burns up my cranking battery about three times a week in the garage because he just goes up and down with the trim hits the oh. power poles, uh turns the graphs on and off so that, that you probably got some more time of button pushing but i agree like three three is a good age to where they can actually like focus on other things going on and uh, yeah and you could be out there for a few hours exactly that so when we took her out there, all she wanted to do was like try to jump in the water and hit the horn button and try to drive the boat. Like that's all that's she wanted to do. That makes I, sense. I left all the rods at home, took all the tackle out. I was like, we're just gonna go for a little boat ride down the canal. It's great, so, though. Yeah. yeah, you'll you'll remember that day forever. Oh, it was it was wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> little kids like, and I don't I don't have any kids enamored. Just like I just feel like. I just love watching how little kids can find the simplest thing, like, you know, and just make it the most fun. Like it could be a crawfish adventure in the live well. And they're like, Oh, this is it. This is all I need. (laughs) So my daughter's a foodie. She loves food. So like we get on the boat, we start driving. She's like, I want a snack mama. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Got to bring the snacks. Always. Like if we got, we can't go anywhere without a snack. So no doubt. Yeah, it's fun. Deacon, you'll know what that pain is like one day. One day. Uncle Adam. That's right, Joe. There we go. <laughs> Lifetime uncle. I'm just kidding. Nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, And, well, Andy, dude, I'll let you wrap things up and ask kind of the final questions. I know Josh has been on the show before. Um, how did you want to wrap things up, Andy? So I guess um, is there anything that – you want our viewers tonight to know about what's going on, maybe with like uh, your own podcast that you have going, or um, if you have anything else in the fin- fishing industry that's happening around you, around you personally. If you want to give like shout outs now, I guess this could be your time for that. And then we'll wrap it up. 
Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if, if anyone wants to learn more about whatever we're talking about, ask more questions, feel free. You can uh, find me on Facebook or Instagram uh, at Josh underscore Bertrand fishing. And then, yeah, if you're a podcast guy and um, you have time to listen to another podcast, if you're not already listening, mine is called anglers happy hour. And uh, we, we talk some nuts and bolts, but a lot of times it's just random whatever you know we call it english happy hour because it's like the conversation you'd have after you get off the water when you're at the bar with your buddies and uh it's a couple of buddies and myself uh sometimes we get guests sometimes we don't but we uh we talk serious fishing one day the next day we talk about you know some disaster that you know uh, my buddy nick had in his in his personal life or uh you know uh maybe rob's hunting just whatever it is and guys the limit yeah, dude, we've got a good one coming this week because Nick had been uh, bass fishing down in Mexico for the That's week. Right. So we'll have some good stories. You know, everyone loves his Mexico episode. So, um, yeah, man, if you, if you guys are interested, it's called Angler's Happy Hour, and you can hear it. It's uh, audio only. It's on iTunes and Spotify. Awesome. Yeah. And huge, huge shout out to that, guys. If you're not already listening, uh, I, I listen to every episode, Josh, and it's just a Thank great you, time, dude. Yeah. And I, I just love putting it on, especially like a long drive. It just, you're in the middle of a conversation. You can just tell genuine best friends chatting, and uh, it makes it really fun. And there's absolutely tidbits in there, man, of juice fishing wise. And then you just love hearing the train wreck that Nick has going on that week because <laughs> he's a great awesome. guy and he's, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's got it together, but like, he just seems to find himself in a pickle like every day. And uh, <laughs> like, we almost start every episode off with like, okay, what happened to you this week? What's dude? the pickle? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Are you going to make it home from Mexico this week? We're not sure, but here's yeah, how he's he did still it. alive. Thank God he's still alive. Every time he goes, I'm, like i hope i see him again man <laughs> the way he does it's amazing it's 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 amazing but yeah yeah uh sorry, I'm, sorry. and he always yeah. has a yeah, story i'm sure he does. always oh every, that's, love it. Yeah. it's awesome it's the best part well thank you guys very much and yeah. thanks for having me on man it means a lot you guys are doing i mean i'm, I'm amazed at how good of a job you guys do at, at putting everything together and uh, you put so much work into it. The quality of, uh, of the show is so good and uh, you guys are awesome hosts. Yeah. We, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I, I had to give Bailey a big slap on the back cause he's the main driver of this. So mm-hmm. as um, I know Deacon's quite busy, but I got my two year old that I'm constantly chasing around over here. So it, it's fun for sure. Heck so, yeah. but thank you as well. Um, I wish you uh, a safe traveling 2020 and the um, utmost success through all your tournaments and endeavors through the year. So, and stay thank healthy, you, of likewise. course. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. thank you guys very much. Yeah. So, absolutely. And then just one final quick note here, Adam, before we finish, uh, there's a, I know we're doing a Hobie eyewear giveaway coming up here. I believe it starts tomorrow. Um, look for the details in the morning and then there's also going to be a really fun santa suit smallmouth beat oh, yeah. down that me and bailey i uh, <laughs> did on the niagara river so um it's about 18 minutes of just pure joy and laughter so i hope everybody tunes in and watches that video tomorrow josh i think you'll get a kick out if you get it i saw the teaser on, on instagram so yeah it, it's hysterical it's in nice. the first few minutes, Bailey's yelling at me because I was like, I'm not putting it on until we catch a fish. So, like, <laughs> and then it was just madness for an hour and 45 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, it was fun. So, 
everybody get in on that giveaway. There's multiple ways it'll be announced in the morning. So, but thank you for everyone for viewing, for tuning in tonight and uh, listening all the time. We appreciate it greatly. So, it also helps out our great guests like Josh. Josh, so we have more viewership and following. So, thank you again. Absolutely. So, for now, we'll see you guys yep. next time. See you guys next week. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.